Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Hospitality TV. I am your host, Rafael Peterson. Thank you so much for joining us. If today is your first time tuning in, uh, this is a channel that was created for everyone in the hospitality industry that's connected to it one way or another, uh, and for us to interview leaders in that industry so that they can share their insights and lessons that they learned throughout their careers so we can learn from them and we can all be better. Uh, we have a very special guest in-house today. Before I get to that, I do want to say one thing. Uh, I have created this because of my time in the industry and everything that it's given to me. Um, so we're trying to provide as much value as we can to everybody that's listening to it. I do want to say and just ask that if it provides you any value whatsoever, please share the show. Uh, that's going to help us grow. It helps us get better guests. It helps us spread awareness about what we're doing. Um, share the show. You can share it on your stories. You can share an episode, subscribe to the YouTube channel, all that good stuff. Um, but so for today, very excited to have a good friend, Chris Woodenhouse. How are you doing today, man? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for your patience for getting helping us uh, get set up here. <laughs> New spot for us, so we're excited. Of course. Happy yeah, to be man. here. Cool, man. So you and I worked um, together under the Consortium Holdings Group. You were the general manager at Ironside. Um, you, to me, were always one of those guys that people kind of gravitate towards, and you always had this very kind of warm, charismatic character, and... That's one of the things that stood out the most for me. I feel like that's something that you can't really teach, and maybe we can talk about that too. You yeah. know, like, you know, you know who reminds me of that too is Brian Prugali Dad. I think you know him. He's just like a super cool, charismatic character, and people are just like naturally attracted to him because that's kind of the vibe that you give off. You know, mm -hmm. so I think naturally because of that, everybody around town kind of knows you and kind of respects your position is is what you've been doing. But as far as I know, currently director of operations for the Trust Group. Yeah, so more or so, uh, more of a regional operations manager. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, director of operations, right hand man, basically. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that oversees how many restaurants? Uh, three restaurants, technically, and two which ones are those? shops. Uh, Trust, yep. uh, which is a flagship, which has been around about eight years. Gotcha. Uh, then Fort Oak in Mission Hills and Cardellino, our Italian chop house, which we just revamped about a year ago. Uh, and then I managed two butcher shops called the Wise Ox. Uh, there's one in El Cajon, and then there's one in Carlsbad in the Beacon. Very cool. Yeah. Keeps me busy. Oh my God, I bet. <laughs> I was going to say, where can people find you if they wanted to pop into the bar and say hello, or is that kind of just all over the place? Uh, depends on the day. Yeah, uh, yeah. One day I might be at Carlino for service, one day I might be at Trust. Uh, technically, right now I'm acting GM at Trust in particular, so I'm there the most, and then gotcha. I kind of bounce around a little bit depending on how my day looks. Cool, man, cool. Yeah. So one of the things I love about this whole thing and is I get to actually sit down and have some, some time to, to talk to the homies and kind of get their background story. I feel like a lot of times you meet people, you don't really get to dig in a lot, which is what I really like to do. And oh, yeah. so, man, if you wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit about maybe give us some background on your career, kind of how you got into the hospitality industry, and, and we'll go from there. For sure. Uh, we can start from the beginning, actually. So in high school, I uh, worked in a lot of grocery stores kind of translate to this a little bit. I worked in a couple, like as a cashier, uh, stocker, things of that nature. Um, and then eventually went to college at University of Maryland, College Park. Um, and then I was in pretty good shape back then. I played football all my life. So I became a, a doorman or a bouncer, should you say, all right. at a college bar. <laughs> a very fun start to my career. Oh, my God. Uh, so, but you have some good stories from oh, that, yeah. too. Yeah. I could write a couple of books, honestly. Okay. I actually thought about doing that. <laughs> so I worked at a bar in College Park called the Cornerstone Grill and Loft. Uh, started as a bouncer, uh, worked my way up, uh, busser, uh, worked in the kitchen a little bit as a dishwasher just to help out. Um, then after busser, became barback, started to get familiar with the bar, loved being a bartender, obviously being very social, building my network, meeting a lot of people. Bartending just came naturally to me. 
Um, so as I was bar back and I started to bartend when the bartenders would get weeded, they'd be like, hey, Chris, make these cocktails in the service well real quick. So started to pick that up a little bit, uh, then eventually became bartender, bartended for about eight and a half years, um, and then became manager. So basically, I was a beverage manager and a security manager, essentially an AGM of a college bar. Uh, then at that point, I was living with my GM, so he was my mentor. Uh, certain, about 10 and a half years later, he was like, you got to get the hell out of here. This is not for you. You're way better than this. Um, so I started working in D.C. at a place called Masa 14 um, under Richard Sandoval, which he has restaurants all over the world. Did you move out there for that job or did you have any friends out there? Or what? Uh, so D.C. Maryland was an area called the DMV. So it's yeah. pretty close to each other. OK, gotcha. So essentially College Park is on the outskirts of D.C. and then where I worked was about 20 minutes inside of DC. Okay, gotcha. So not that far away. All I right. still I still end up living with my mentor, my GM at the time, and then I was the AGM at Masa 14. It was a two floor Asian Latin tapas restaurant, uh, and it actually turned into a nightclub uh, after dinner service. So that was pretty interesting. Uh, so kind we had born and raised, right? Yeah. <laughs> so full service dinner, and then at a certain point in time, there were stanchions put up, and then there were some Serbian security guards that just showed up in black suits, and you're like, oh, it's it's party time. So. It was a very interesting start into like getting to bigger companies. Yeah. Uh, then essentially, uh, there was a gentleman called Chris. His name's Chris Mears. Uh, he's an executive vice president of Letters Entertain You Restaurants, which is based out of Chicago, uh, and he's a big partner in that group. Um, he had dinner at Masa 14 randomly, and then he contacted me. I can't remember how he contacted me. I think it might have been via LinkedIn or something. Uh, and he's like, "I really want you to come meet with me. Um, I'm only in town for a couple of days." Long story short, I met with him at a restaurant called Summer House Santa Monica in Stella Bar Pizzeria in North Bethesda. It was a pretty newer concept. It's a dual concept. So a pizzeria right beside a American modern cuisine restaurant. Like Stella Bar is very dark, like a pizza pub. And then Summer House Santa Monica is very bright. Plants, living plants everywhere. And they also had a bakery inside of it. Uh, so I was the number two, which is essentially the AGM for that group. Um, so I worked for them for a little, quite a bit sometime. Um, then I was looking to move up a little bit, uh, and they were like, where do you want to go? I was like, well, I'd love to move to the West Coast to be close to my family because my brother lives out here. Wait, hold on. Well, we're, sorry to interrupt. What yeah. were you doing with Let Us Entertain You? Because that's like a very big group, oh, yeah. right? I mean, huge, guys, yeah. huge group. I mean, they have over, if I correct me if I'm wrong, probably 150 concepts now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were uh, looking that huge. up earlier. Yeah, uh -huh. all over the U.S. So they're based out of Chicago. They, they're basically the, the mob there, yeah. you should say. Yeah. Like you go in Lincoln Park, and both sides of the street are all lettuce, but they're different concepts. And you don't realize <laughs> they're part of the same company. Um, and so they have restaurants all over Minnesota, Arizona, Vegas, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, uh, and then L.A. So essentially, Chris and Corey, which is a he's a partner as well. They were like, hey, let's move you to Santa Monica. And I was like, awesome. Let's do it. And they're like, how long do you need? And I was like, uh, whatever you need. So basically two weeks later, <laughs> I think it was two, three weeks later, like you're, you're going. And I was like, wow. Luckily, at that time, I wasn't, I wasn't part of a lease. I was just living with my friend. Right. And he, I was like, eventually, I'm going to move no matter what. So hopefully, I can move with the company so don't have to pay for it because that would have been a huge yeah, financial exactly. responsibility. So eventually, moved with them. I was flying around for a little bit. I was flying back and forth from Maryland to, to L.A. for a little bit just because they still needed my help there. I uh, basically came in to help out the Santa Monica restaurants because they were going a little bit downhill. Obviously, California market is a little bit different just with actresses and actors and writers and comedians and such. So the first day I landed in Santa Monica, I was standing at the Meridian Delfina, about a block and a half away from the restaurant. I had seven call outs on my first day. So <laughs> I was on the ground running on the first day. No one had no idea who I was except for the managers on site. Uh, so worked for that company for about three years or so um, and then eventually got 
approached by a gentleman that is part of the group I work for now. And he hired me for my first GM position. That was at Herringbone, Santa Monica, which is essentially two blocks away from M Street Kitchen in Stella Bar, where I was in Santa Monica. Yep. Uh, and then worked for Herringbone for a l- almost a little over a year and a half. Were they pissed that you um, left? That's no. Close in, that's still close in the neighborhood, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but they knew it. Yeah. It was it was more of uh, longevity for me. And yeah. like, where at what point did, was I going to be a GM? I, I mean, at that point, I'd already been in the restaurant industry over 12 years. So I was like, if I'm not a GM at this point, what am I doing? So Yeah, but you left on good terms. Left on good terms, yeah. great. I honestly talked to Corey, which is my old director. I talked to him frequently, I'll say at least once a month, just to get some in- insight, advice, and some mentorship a little bit there. And yeah. he'll text me too. He's like, hey, how are you doing out there? How are things going? I see you got your hands full, so hope that's going pretty well for you. Yeah. Uh, so after Herringbone, um, actually got in contact with CH. Um, so... A man named John Franchese. He contacted me. I actually had an interview like while I was at the restaurant on my phone outside, outside of the restaurant during brunch service. And basically, he was like, "When's your next day off?" And, and that was Saturday. I was like, "Tomorrow." And so he was like, "Come on down." And I interviewed with him in our salon at the office at like seven o'clock at night. Uh, then I went to dinner at Ironside that night and kind of gave him a summary of my experience and basically like a shopper report. Yeah. Uh, shot an email to him and. He, they sent me an offer and I moved down. I moved down as soon as I could. So nice. I think I moved down in like a month and stayed with my brother at the time. Then after that, obviously COVID happened. So I moved to San Diego December 2019. Um, and then COVID happened March. So that was a big blow. Obviously coming down on Ironside was crazy busy, like breaking records sales wise and me being new to the company. It felt great. Just the bustling us from San Diego and being in Little Italy. Um, and then Obviously, COVID happened, and we were the new. We're the only concept to open up essentially after that. So I kind of had my pick of the litter of like employees, grabbed employees from False Idol, from Craft and Commerce, from Born, wherever I could scratch up some teams to help out. That's so, so crazy, man! Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I know you way before COVID, because COVID was such yeah. a like turbulent time. And mm-hmm. you came to San Diego December 2019. Mm-hmm. Jeez, I thought you, I thought you were here for way longer, or yeah. before that. Um, I want to ask you a couple of things. I mean, obviously, we're getting to the COVID area and everything, but like before we talk about your current um, position of where you are and how you got, you know, you're describing how you got there. I'd love to just quickly look at some of the areas that you were at, and like I feel like people always have at least one really good takeaway from a time in their mm-hmm. life, and spe- you know, specific to to a job that they held or a position that they were in. Um, is there anything that maybe you can pick point? Sorry, is there anything that you can pick apart from those times that were like valuable lessons that you know you wish you knew now for example or you know you were talking about example like for like how you left i feel like that's such an important thing mm. too that a lot of people don't necessarily do that Absolutely. i can say i've definitely been guilty of that in the past too yeah. or i haven't left on the best terms and it's we know now especially it's way too small of an industry to do things like that well, and look how it's benefited you like you yeah. left on very good terms and you still have people there within that group that are mentors to you right for sure like maybe you can speak to that yeah i mean i never trying to burn any bridges because you never know at, you might need to go back to that person for a job. Say something happens, God forbid, and you might need to go back to that place, you know. Um, and it, it's all about, like, going to those people. Before you make that next move, going to those people of power. And be like, hey, what can I do to be better? Why haven't I been promoted? Is it just not the right fit? Am I not learned? Am I, do I not know enough yet? And so I always try to recap with anyone that hired me. Like, hey, I'm looking to move on to another opportunity. Is there something I can do to stay within the group? And the only reason I left Lettuce Entertain You was because they wanted me to move back to Chicago to be a GM at one of the stores. And I was like, Sunday, San Diego, 
frigid Chicago. No, not happening. <laughs> so they understood completely. They understood why I made that move because they didn't have anything for me on the West Coast. Um, and they only had three stores on the West Coast, and I was a number two for all of them already. Um, so I never try to leave on bad terms whatsoever because you never know when it comes back around. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Exactly. Okay, so sorry, go ahead. So now we're COVID era in San Diego. COVID Ironside. era. Yeah, Ironside closed down. And then basically we used that time to revamp all the training, the reference guides and such. Uh, I, like most of my days, would I would wake up super early, go on long walks and get my head straight, listen to some music, then get back to my house and pop my laptop and just dig into the training. And obviously the training was intense. Uh, it was great because I kind of got thrown into it too. Coming from Santa Monica, I was like, like hey, run this store that's doing second most revenue in the company. <laughs> you don't really know much. So, yeah. But it was pretty quickly. Um, and then obviously after we reopened up, it was a lot of stress. Living in Lowell didn't help either. I lived two blocks away from the restaurant. So even if I had a day off, it wasn't really a day off. I would literally walk down the street and be like, hey, can I get a reservation tonight? And I'm like, I'm not even working. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm just trying to enjoy my day off. I'm going to go have a drink or I'm going to go eat at the restaurant. So uh, ended up getting contacted by the trust group uh, through Chef Brad. Um, and this was the same time when Chef Jason was leaving the company. So it kind of like, I guess, worked itself out. Uh, Brad was basically like, hey, I wouldn't even be approaching you if Jason was still around the company because he respected him so much. Right. Um, so... Since I met with that team and they were, what are you looking for? And I was, obviously I want to be a partner or director of operations eventually. Um, and obviously they were expanding. I could tell they were expanding. And I, and I was a huge fan of Fort Oak even before. Even when I, I had a day off at Ironside, which was few and far between, I would find myself at the bar at Fort Oak just chatting up with the crew there. So then joined that team pretty quickly. And then I was a GM at Fort Oak uh, for about nine to 10 months. And then Brad was like, are you ready? And I was like, yeah, I've been ready. So I uh, found my replacement. Um, trained her and she took over that store and then eventually I started to become the operation manager for the group so now I, I manage five properties so. all right all right all right there's lots to unpack there I'm, yeah. that I'm, that I'm trying to I want to focus in on a couple things because um, what do you think so you're you're in operations now right and I feel like everybody in order to be a successful restaurateur or even a successful part of the leadership mm -hmm. team, like you really need to understand the operations side, right? Correct. Which is something that we haven't done historically well. You know I'm more of a wine guy. I've always been more wine-leaning. Um, I've been a sommelier and wine director for several restaurants, and I feel like that is for sure an area when they give us the wine education in a lot of these institutions that they have failed us as far as building you into really understanding the business behind at the bare minimum even managing creating managing and developing a profitable wine program mm -hmm. a lot of people just come in like you love wine you're passionate you want to yeah. buy these things but then still somehow you're not making money or they don't understand the business behind it that's not helping anybody out right. um but even from that end like just from a general manager side or even a bar lead side just to understand those different facets right mm -hmm. Um, what do you think, what advice would you give to somebody who's trying to move into operations like from even, you know, I don't know, like even from the beginning when you start to move up? Most people follow the same trajectory, right? Like Correct. you got to start from somewhere. Yeah. I don't think we're really hiring people out of like an Ivy League school who knows business <laughs> yeah. to come be a director of operations. Yeah. Like you do the same thing, right? You work your way up. You're a yeah. back waiter into a captain. Maybe you're the lead captain. Guess what? You're part-time managing now and you kind of slowly, slowly absorb these things. But if somebody wanted to be great at operations, mm -hmm. what, what's, what's the right way to approach that? I'd say starting from the beginning and in any hourly position, trying to hone in and be the best at that position first and then go from there. I think every position that I took on, whether it was being a doorman or a bartender, I always tried to be the best at it. 
and have some sort of mentorship behind it too because the next person behind you if you can't make someone as good as you then you're not doing your job correctly so say i'm training an agm say i'm training a potential bartender if i'm not making them as good as i am then i can't move up so my advice is always to be ready to move up to take that next step and also study and ask questions. You said something there really quick. Yeah. Again, sorry to cut Correct. you off. No, you said, good. if you're not making them as good as they can be, then you're not doing your job. Correct. That's really interesting, right? Yeah. I mean, are people, can you teach that? Because you're saying you need to be the best that you can in that position. I think yeah. a lot of times, too, people are just trying to do a job, right? They're just, they come in, they want to get a paycheck. And mm -hmm. can you teach that to people? Well, there's certain people, there's outliers where you know people are dedicated to it. Yeah. And you know, there's people that are there just to do a job and make a buck and go home and relax and just be in and out the door and and not be fully involved in it, but also pinpoint certain people that I know that are in it, and I yeah. can always tell. Yeah. Like, for instance, I have an expo, and she attends all the pre-shift meetings on purpose. She takes the quizzes with the servers and the bartenders because I know that she wants to move up. But I also know on the other end, there's people that just want to be there, clock in, clock out, and be done with it. Yeah. Not everyone's going to be that way, and you just right. got to figure out who that person is. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You can always tell when someone has that drive or that work ethic, hands down. Yeah, for sure. So who, who do you think has been the most influential person for you when it comes to operations? Who have you learned from the most? I'd say there's a multitude of people. Um, Corey Milner from Lettuce was, was huge. Okay. He was, he was hard, like very hard-nosed, but he had also had a soft spot too. But he was like, you need to know the price of everything, basically. He's like, you need to know the price of that fork. You need to know the price of that piece of that plateware. And you need to, need to know the price of a case of toilet paper. That, that's what... That's what means you know operations because you know how much things cost and you know that this type of trifold towel is going to cost this much, even though it might it might look better. And this one's going to cost this much. So knowing how to operate and how to staff appropriately for business levels and obviously the sake of service and hospitality is a huge part of that as well. I think staffing is the hardest part always. Um, but just in times like now, some people aren't involved in it like they should be. How are you guys dealing with that now? Because that's a huge, you know, I work in sales now, so mm -hmm. I, I, one, of the, one of the things I really enjoy about this job, too, is that I get to meet a bunch of people in the industry now, too, which has always been one of the favorite parts for me, just like what we're doing right now. But I get to okay. talk to a lot of people, too, and it's, I mean, that is the consistent theme. It's actually an anomaly, and I rarely hear it to where somebody's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, we're good. We're fully staffed, and we're yeah. ready to rock. Yeah. I mean, everybody's like, we're not, we don't have the staff that we need. We're still looking, you know, with such a big group now. How are you guys dealing with that? Um, we try to change our hiring style now um i know people look at resumes and say like this person's worked in restaurants 15 years is that always the right fit come to find out it's not usually the right fit because we it's kind of teaching the old dog new tricks um it's kind of hard to mold that person in the ways that you want to run your restaurants and the way you operate the way we operate is could be completely different from other groups and we we definitely realize that and, and we're pretty dialed in on the details attention to details and like this glass should look like this this plate should look like that type of deal and this this is how a place setting should look like setting the table essentially mm -hmm. um and so i think i'd rather hire someone that's on the younger side and so i can grow them and mold them to the way we want them to be so they haven't been tarnished by the industry yet <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah you can find myself i hire somebody that's been in the industry quite some time it, it's harder to teach them yeah they you tell them one thing and they do the, the opposite so it's, it's so tough. if you don't mind and i don't know if you can share this or not but like, maybe tell us a little bit more like do you are there like a certain string of questions that you ask is it more personality like what type of things you look for in an interview i try to get to know the person yeah at the end of the day if i'm going to get along with them i'm that's going to be a great step moving forward yes like if i don't get along with someone initially in an interview then why would i hire them right exactly they could have the best resume in the world they could be a 
a lead psalm that could be a master psalm, but if I don't get get along with them socially, then that's not something that somebody I would hire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, well, that makes sense. Like, how would you handle this situation? Um, obviously, financials, benefits, things that we offer. Um, have you been at our restaurants? Like, have you done any background on us? If someone's like, I've never heard of your restaurants before, and I don't, I didn't do my due diligence. I'm like, so you just blindly applied on Indeed and just like, right. <laughs> you're like, here's a GM position. Here's they can't, a, they can't name the restaurants exactly. in the group, for example. Yeah. Like, so what like, are you doing here? So you're just like throwing darts. Right. You know? So do some research, you know. I, so what is, and what, what's your outlook right now on, like, on the field of, of the talent that's out there? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Because I'm, I'm not doing that these yeah. days. And what's your, you got your finger on the pulse as you're doing all these interviews. I don't want to say it's getting worse. I just want to say people are asking a lot for what the job entails. Yeah. Um, we kind of take a lot of the financial responsibilities off the in-store managers so they can operate the store efficiently and they're not so stressed in the middle of service. So, oh, I have to do this liquor beer wine order or I gotta finish up this schedule right now. Um, so like in my past life, that was more of the stress on me where if I'm in the middle of a busy service from 11 a.m. to 10 o'clock at night and I have a deadline to send the schedule at 4 p.m. in the middle of service, it's not gonna happen. Right. It's just not feasible and it's not attainable. So. Us on our side, we kind of take the ordering out of their hands, and that comes from the executive level. So they're basically very dialed on on service and like the flow of service, and they're paying attention to the floor and not so much on their phones or on the computer. Yeah. yeah. Another interesting thing for me is that it seems like the word on the street, and also from what you see, is that there's you guys have very good employee longevity. Mm -hmm. This doesn't seem like there's a lot of turnover. Correct. In the restaurant, I could be wrong. Obviously, I don't know all the restaurants. Yeah. I don't know what you guys are dealing with, but that's what it seems like, and at least that's what the word on the street is like, yeah. which is always a great thing. And that always sparks a lot of interest in me because it seems like there's a lot of turnover in general in mm -hmm. restaurants, and I think when you see places that retain their employees very well, that's a great sign. Well, what would, is, first of all, is that true? And second of all, uh, what would you attribute that to? It is true. Uh, it kind of like flip-flopped, honestly. Like in the past, it was more so the managers never left uh, and it was very smooth. But honestly, COVID changed a lot of people's outlook on the industry and like how tough it got and how skeleton of a crew that you had to run and what you had to do to actually weather the storm and stay relevant. Like GMs running an ice cream window or GM hosting or working expo for service. So I think now more so like our hourly staff members don't leave the retention rate is great but now what we're finding is that management is hard to keep around mm. because either people want to do th different things with their lives they're over the service industry or the hours are just too much why do you think the hourly employees are sticking around um i would say financially and the morality of our group is pretty high like i myself like try to create a great culture and make sure the employees want to stay um, I think that's a huge part of it too, but also like financially, it's great. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah, make good yeah. money. For sure. <laughs> and our hours of operation are different from most places too. So you got to think we're fully dinner focused at most of our concepts, five to nine during the weekdays and five to ten on the weekends. So I think that takes a lot of stressors off some of our hourly members. Yes. They literally come in an hour before the shift, get set up, and they're out the door within like seven, seven and a half hours, which goes a long way. Yeah, for most, sure. Where most places you're working eight to nine, ten hours shifts. So yeah, that's definitely huge. And it doesn't, your quality of life is terrible. <laughs> so on that note too, we're talking about eight, nine, 10 hour shifts. Mm. I, I, something that's always been a thought of mine that's been crazy that, and I wanna see if you guys are adjusting in any way with this, but I, I've, you know, we know so many people who work 10, 12 hour shifts, mm -hmm. right? And it's just like, that's like burnout city. Like yeah. how long can you do that? This is why people burn out and right. they end up leaving. Like, hey, I'm gonna go do another job, this is nuts. 
at what point can we not figure out like schedules for like opening manager, mm-hmm. eight hour shift, whatever manager you are over here coming in at two, you know, eight hour shift maybe. Like it just seems, and I've almost I've been witness to it too, where I'm like, you know, a manager will be there is pushing eleven hours. I'm like, dude, please go home. He's like, no, no, I'm gonna stay for another hour. I was like, why? We don't need you here. Yeah. Maybe it's an issue of. They feel that responsibility, but also I think it's more of an issue that that's what the ownership expects of them, right? Like Correct. whether you be the executive chef that's putting in those hours, are you guys doing anything in that realm? Are you are you looking at that to avoid burnout for people? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that, on these extended hours in the industry? It's a huge part of what we look into. I mean, even when I'm hiring somebody or interviewing them, I try to tell them what it's expected. 10 hours is, is what expected for a shift, nine to 10 hours. And some days are gonna outweigh the others. Some days might be eight hours, some days might be nine or 10, but I never want really anyone working over 10 hours a day or five, five days a week, essentially. Yeah. I always try to guarantee any of my managers to have two days off, whether it's me filling in or whether it's my director of ops or anything of that nature. So that's what we hone on a lot. We actually went to a conference in New York recently called the Welcome Conference. And more so the other conferences were focused on like COVID, how do you get out of COVID? How do you stay alive? How do you stay present and relevant? Um, and then this most recent conference was about taking care of yourself mentally, physically, and emotionally. And it was a huge conversation about burnout culture. We're like, what can you do to restructure your management team where burnout culture doesn't happen, right? So- Can you share any things that stood out from that for yeah, you? Yeah, for sure. Like uh, one thing was happiness, promoting happiness, promoting uh, accountability, respectful, be nice to everyone. Uh, structuring your schedule where like, can someone come in later on certain days if they have less admin and then bouncing out a certain other day? Yeah. And if you need to come in at two o'clock and the job's still gonna get done, come in at two o'clock, I don't care. I don't expect you to be there at noon or one just because it says it on your schedule. Right. Just be honest and transparent about it. Like, hey, I can't get there till two. I need some more time or I need to do things that better myself. So that's one thing that we focus on a lot just in terms of keeping great morale and making sure the retention rate is high as well. Yeah. And we want our managers to have two days off in a row. Yeah. yeah so yeah. they can take care of their life and have a great quality of life, essentially. Do you guys do any, like, I know there's always such a focus on hospitality for the customer. Mm-hmm. Do you guys do anything for the employees there? Uh, in terms of, obviously, if you dine at one of our restaurants, you do get a percentage off. Yeah. Um, obviously, for perk. Um, we also 401k for any full-time employees, which I know a lot of groups don't offer that whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, and obviously health insurance is great too, health, medical, dental, and vision. Um, and then family meal, I think family meal is a huge part. Like even when I work for Lettuce, like if you didn't have family meal out on a daily, we would you would get ripped. <laughs> Who, in the kitchen? They, if you would get, like if a partner came in yeah. and you didn't have family meal ready by like 4.30, you would, you'd be in trouble. Right. It, it was like, a, that's a standard. It, it was a standard, it was yeah. an expectation to have family meal out. And I think that's a great thing too. Like say a person's been running around all day or they have two jobs and they've been at the cafe all day and they literally have an hour break in between to get themselves ready for their night shift. And then they come into a, a great meal. You're like, that goes a long way. Yeah, yeah. Little things like that. For sure, it's just bond, bonding time Correct. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I've always liked that. Um, you know, I've always I've always been attracted to this old school of hospitality of like you know Danny Myers and like Paul Greco, some of these old school dudes who would you know put out the philosophies of like take care of your people first, mm-hmm. and then by default the customers will be taken care of, right? Correct. Um, and that really I just love when I see people who are like making you know a lot, there's I just work in so many places where it's like show me what you're doing special for the customer, you know, and, and like really enforcing it on you and like tell me how you're doing this and then like. 
that's cool but then you also get to a certain point I'm like cool well, how are you doing that for us you yeah. know or like I think it just it, it's such a great idea to not just extend that hospitality obviously to the guests which is you know very important but to the people too mm-hmm. that work for you right in special ways so I'm always interested to see how people are doing that and you, you know who do you who do you think kind of shapes your current vision of hospitality, whether it be like any big influential people mm-hmm. or people that you've worked with? Like, what is your kind of thesis right now these days on hospitality? And if it's changed? Um, I would say a big influencer is honestly the conference that I went to, Will Godara, was huge. Uh, he wrote Unreasonable Hospitality. Yeah. And he actually has another book coming out that's called Reasonable Hospitality. So that's huge. And Brad is a big proponent of that. And he's very close and he's in the trenches too. And like the way he preaches hospitality, it, it goes a long way. And even my director uh, as well, like the drive that they have is like crazy to me. Like every day, it's they're on like 100%. There's no like, there's no slacking. There's not one day where their hospitality is like at a one or two, it's always at like 100. Um, so I think that's a huge influence on me. That's like, like you, I was gonna say, know. that's how you are. That's how I see you every day in and out. Yeah, man. so like, it's a, it's a, even though it's a, it's a good energizer, like going to that conference was crazy. It was like at the point where I was like, burn, burning out, like working six, seven days a week, and then Brad taking us out to New York on, on him, on like he took care of everything, was, mm-hmm. was huge, it went a long way. Mm. And I hadn't been, I hadn't been back to the East Coast in six, like five, six years, so. Damn, that sounds it was, awesome. It was awesome, I go it was to great. Those. Went to Nyla Nights Dinners and like, it made us even tighter. Like, yeah, me being a part of the executive team was huge. It was a huge promotion for me, and so him taking me out there was like a. It was great. It was awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, cool, man. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit because sure. I know that there was something I was looking at. And I saw you post about this not too long ago, which I thought was incredible. That you you had a chance to speak to some of the members of the University of San Diego men's basketball team. Yeah, um, and I think the coach and maybe some of their lead players in there. How did that happen? How did that yeah. come about? So. Uh, it was it was crazy a turn of events. Um, coach Steve Lavin, obviously, he's a very well known college basketball coach. He coached some high level teams, like championship teams, and he went into broadcasting too. So his his voice is very recognizable. And I think I was in I can't I think I was at Fort Oak, and he had called the restaurant, and I recognized his voice like immediately. I was like, Coach Coach Steve Lavin, he's like, Yeah, it's me. He's like, How you doing? Yeah. And so he. Uh, he lives by trust, and I didn't know it at the time, but he had taken he had taken over the USC basketball team, um, and so we just became really close. And he like he's like, dude, you just exude hospitality. I, I can't understand how you do this. And he knows like how much I do, and like I'm everywhere. He would be at trust, and I would pop up. He would be at Fort Oak, and I would pop up. And he's like, dude, how are you in this many places at one time? Like this <laughs> this makes no sense whatsoever. And so his assistant um, contacted me like a couple months ago, like even before the speech and. He's like, I really want you to do this. And I kind of brushed it off at first because I hate speeches. Like, I hate being in front of people. It just drives me nuts. I mean, pre-shifts is one thing, but being in front of people that I don't know, I was, it was like freaking out inside. <laughs> and so he's like, I really want you to do this. And I was like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So we arranged it. I, it was great timing because I just got back from New York and I was like super energized and like very, like, so like ready to go. Um, and so they actually had a dinner. It was all the coaches from the USC basketball team and it was all the players. So they sat on the patio at Fort Oak and it was actually like a like a team dinner essentially. And he's like, I really want you to dive in, like how do you hire people? Uh, what's the hardest part about your job, your background and where do you see yourself going essentially? And kind of like do like dinner etiquette too. Like teach these kids, like tell them how to dine in like a restaurant of this caliber. Mm. Like what should you do, what you shouldn't do, tipping. If you're looking to book a big party, how do you go about that? Um, 
and how do how do you run your operations? So it was it was awesome. And like at the end of it, we took a like a team picture, and then I think almost the whole team shot me a message on Instagram. It was like, dude, that was crazy. I can't we can't believe like you've done that. Damn man, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was it was it was great. It was like a, a big big boost for me because like I never thought someone would look at me in that light. So it was amazing. Yeah. yeah. No, congrats. That was huge. Yeah. I saw it. I was like, I was fired yeah. up with the shot. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Well, yeah, you have a, a group of, of super hungry individuals too, yeah. right? Like these Absolutely. are like, they're trying to compete at the highest level mm-hmm. that they can. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's like a dream team right there, right? Like being able to coach. Yeah. Did you get to talk to coach a little bit during uh, that time? I talked to coach a lot. Really? Um, just from just from him being a regular and you getting oh, to yeah, yeah. like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, he lives around the corner from trust, so he's there frequently. We always touch base. Um, he, he's a big supporter of us too. And, He's had he's had team dinners at Rare Society. He's had him at Trust and Fort Oak. So he's honestly a great regular for us, and yeah. he's just awesome to be around. His personality exudes like, and just his voice, the way his he projects his voice, you can tell like he comes from broadcasting. Just the way he talks, yeah. Is great. yeah. Do you ever pick his brain on like what it takes to run a great team? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he actually after the speech, he was like, whatever you translated from that conference and your work life, it's like goes directly into how like I coach my team. Like morale is great. Be respectful to your teammates. Um, never forget where you come from. Like I came from a college bar and, and where I am today. And so I, I told them like, you could have been on like some terrible AAU team as a player, but you got to learn something from that experience. Mm. Whether it's a good experience or a bad experience, bad experiences you actually probably learn more from. Whether whether in, in a good Absolutely. experience, like yeah. not not everything's perfect. Can't be sugar coated. And so never forget where you started. Right. Yeah. Damn, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, all right, let's do this. I'm going to steal a couple of coaches' questions. <laughs> What's the most uh, difficult part of your job? Uh, finding balance for myself, I would say. Um, I'm always, it's hard for me to not check my emails on my day off, mm. which is few and far between right now. But I think I'm doing it for the longevity of it and my retirement eventually. So I'd rather work more than anyone that's that works for me, essentially. So like, I don't want my GMs or my AGMs or my chefs working as much as I do. I'm doing it for my, my future, and so I can eventually retire. But I would say the hardest part for me is dating life, of course. <laughs> I don't have a lot of time off. Because you don't give yourself free exactly. time. So yeah. found that balance and, and finding a good routine. Yeah. Obviously, working out and things of that nature, Just I think that's the hardest part right now. Taking care of number one. Of course, yep, yeah. Yep. And then what do you see for yourself moving forward? Like, where would you like to see yourself being in two, three, five years from here? Um, I think about it a couple of different ways. Uh, Honestly, thought about consulting a little bit. I mean, I give people advice all the time. Um, I thought about it. I don't think that's my true calling, honestly. I think I want to become someone that helps develop and train people. Yeah. Um, Would you ever want to have your own spot? I think about that. I go back and forth about it, just the financial drain of it. And mm. honestly, I'd be working more than I already do. Right. Because uh, I know I'd be in that spot for a year straight before I even let the reins go. Yeah. Uh, so that's the only drawback from that. Um, it would be very small if I did do it. Yeah. It would be like a 10-person bar and maybe 10 tables, and that's it. Right, very right. small operation. <laughs> um, so, yeah, those are things. And then eventually I want to become partner in a group um, and just – I don't know. Just have more flexibility. Yeah. Now I have a lot of flexibility. Yeah. Like with my schedule, like some days I, I I go to work at eight. Some days I go to work at one. Uh, whatever I have, if I have to take care of something personally for myself, I can do that without being stressed. And like I need to be at this restaurant by one o'clock. Yeah. Like, it's like I can bounce around. So. So 
based on the things that you've learned over these several restaurants that you've worked at and the people that you've worked with, if you could give yourself advice, go back, you know, five years. <laughs> You're looking at yourself, Chris Wood from five years ago. What would wow. you tell him? Uh, enjoy life as much as you can. Take more time off. Take more vacations. Um, we encourage people to take their time off and mm-hmm. use your paid time, like use your vacation time, because it's you never know when you're not going to be able to use it. So I would give myself more advice to travel more. Definitely travel more, for sure. Cool. Yeah. Well, let's let's get a trip for you this year, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Travel more internationally. For I mean, I've traveled a decent amount of the U.S., but yeah. traveling more to Asia, like my, one of my biggest dreams is to travel to Tokyo. Oh, nice. And I still haven't done it, so it's definitely on my radar. All right, man. Well, I'm sure. going to check back with you in a couple of years yeah. <laughs> see if you got that trip done. <laughs> Anything else you want to share? Any other messages that we haven't covered for any of the people watching? Hmm. Now you put me on the spot. I don't know. Uh, I think we didn't culture, right? Yeah, will be one to touch on. I think culture is what you bring, like your personality, your brand, how you treat people. So obviously, be respectful to everyone. Be nice at the end of the day. Someone could have the worst day ever, and you come in that could make their day. So I think that's a huge thing with you, man. That's I've always appreciated, yeah. and you know, I've seen you in service, and and obviously we worked with the same group mm-hmm. before, and. I think you even had some managers shifts at Bourne when I was there, maybe, you know, coming in and covering mm-hmm. for some people. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that that you cannot overstate the importance of being nice to people mm-hmm. and making them feel just good about themselves and mm-hmm. welcome because it makes them want to work for you, Correct. right? Like, it makes people want to do the things that you're – whatever your vision is, it makes people want to fall into that vision. Whereas if people don't appreciate you and they just kind of walk by you or they, they you don't feel seen by the leaders of the group that you work for, mm-hmm. it doesn't really give you a lot of a lot of drive to help them fulfill their mission, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you can come in and still be a great employee, but I think that there's definitely um, a big difference when you have somebody who's 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 happy and carries themselves yeah. well, and you want to be around that person and you want to work for that person. Correct. You know, I think that I, I just, I don't know. And I think that's something that a lot of people overlook. And, and again, I don't know if that's something you can teach, you know, you're yeah. like an ideal person because you've obviously got the charisma down first. It comes naturally to you. Yeah. And then now it seems that you've learned all the technical side of the operations. Like right. a lot of the, right. Aren't those like two different sides of the brain? I feel like a lot of times people are saying, well, you either have one or the other, right? You have yeah. this person who's really good at numbers, but maybe they're not really good with people mm. or they're great with people, but then they're just like, they're just don't understand the numbers game yeah. too much. So, yeah, it's finding that little sweet spot. Yeah, you yeah. gotta have a balance of both. I mean, I always tell this people tell this people when I'm training them. Like when you walk in the door, the first thing you do is you say hi to everybody. Yeah, I don't care if they're a dishwasher, I don't care if they're a line cook or a bartender. You say hi to every single body, every everybody when you walk in the door and before you leave. That's very important. It goes. Yeah, I love that. You know what? They had that at Ironside. Actually, that was the thing at Ironside when mm-hmm. I worked there. So before Born was open, I, um, you know, obviously everything was getting pushed back and delayed. Yeah. So they just put me on the floor randomly yeah. just at Ironside and kind of learned their operations there. But I was there for a couple months. And I remember that was one of the first things that the manager told me. I was like, listen, if you, anybody you come into eye contact with, like, go say hi to that person. Yep. I was like, that's awesome. Anybody who's in like a – I forget I forget exactly how they framed it, but it was like basically like a five-foot radius of yours like as you walk into the building. It's like, mm-hmm. make sure you say hi. So I come in, and this is like my first week there, and everybody's like, hi, how are you doing? I'm like, hey, how's it going, man? I was like, damn, this place is awesome. Like, people are so cool here. <laughs> yeah. And I just felt super welcome. I was, yeah. dude, that, I, honestly, that's funny. You reminded me of that. Like, that was one of the uh, – I always remember that. as like, damn, I got to do that <laughs> wherever I go because that's um, – it just sets the tone, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why would you want to work in – why would you want to walk in a place that's like – the employees aren't even saying hi to each yeah. other. Or, I don't know. It's, it's such, or even to a business, right? That's yeah. one of my biggest pet peeves in general. It's like I walk into a business and, um, you know, 
nobody says hi to you. Yeah, I go crazy. to this gym. Crazy to me. I go to this gym in this neighborhood, in my neighborhood, where I'm, you know, I'm not sorry, <laughs> I'm not trying to blast anybody here, but mm. it's just such an obvious example. It's like I've been going there for years, right? And and it's always the same thing at this one location where it's literally the person whoever's at the front desk has just got their face down, they're looking at their phone. And, you know, whatever, it's fine. Like, I go in, I check in, put my finger on there, check yeah. in, go do my thing. And uh, there was this girl uh, there a couple, like, a month ago. And she she's just at, she's at the front desk. I go to check in. She's like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, I'm good. How are you? She's like, what are you working out today? I was like, oh, I'm going to go do arms. She's like, right on. Cool. Have a great workout. I was like, oh, my God. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah. It was, like, such an yeah. opposite feeling of yeah. what I normally get. And then on the way up, the little, like, the GM dude was hanging around the front desk. I was like, hey, man, I got to tell you. I've been coming here for like five years. I know you can't notice, but mm-hmm. you come in here for five years, and this is literally the first time that somebody's engaged me or even given me like a thoughtful hello mm-hmm. coming into this building. I just want to say I really appreciate it. I've worked in hospitality for like you know almost two decades, and, yeah. and I think it goes a long way. And it's like, oh, right on, man, thank you, you know. But um, yeah. you know, and then I've been you know the last several months it's been the same thing. Nobody yeah. says anything, but I don't it's think such people, a big pet peeve yeah. of mine, you know. I don't think people realize that hospitality translates into a lot of businesses. Yeah, Fortune 500 company, a bank, a gym, yeah, uh, a grocery store. It translates everywhere. Yeah, you know what I was thinking about that the other day too. I was at Trader Joe's, and I just started going to Trader Joe's. I've uh-huh. always been going to Vons. Yeah, dude, everybody's so nice at Trader Joe's. I want to, I want to like talk to the the director of ops or whoever's running Trader <laughs> yeah. Joe's. Like they're doing something different. Yeah. Dude, I go to Vons and Sprouts, like nobody cares. I mean, there's, there's some friendly people. Yep. You know, I'm trying to put a blanket statement, but there's obviously something different happening at mm-hmm. that store. Uh, forgive me, because I'm totally a newbie to Trader Joe's. Yeah. I've been going there like the last six months only. I don't know what I was doing before. Right. But every time I go, no matter what counter I go to or whoever I'm talking to, or even if I stop and ask somebody, hey, man, where is this thing? They stop what they're doing. It's like, I got you, man. Come over here. Yep. Let me show you exactly where it is. How's your day going? Like, there's something different going on over there, and I think it's very noticeable, right? It's funny you say that. I went to Trader Joe's a couple of days ago to get lunch, and I was wearing a Trust shirt. And she was like, hey, how's your day going? I was like, it's going well. She's like, you work for Trust? I was like, yeah. She's like, do you love it? First thing she said, I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's crazy. It was great. Yeah. It, it, it was like, it blew my mind. I like went to the restaurant. And they're, like, they're like, you just went to Trader Joe's? It's like, yeah, this lady little was like, do you love it? It's like, I don't know if she was trying to pry, like she was trying to apply there, but yeah. it just went a long way, you know? All right, we got to get the uh, whoever's responsible for the, cor- the culture of Trader Joe's on this podcast. If you guys know who yeah. it is, and you can put us in touch, please. I mean, a lot of people hate on Chick-fil-A, but their, uh, their hostility is great, too. Okay, it's been a while, man. I need to go back there. <laughs> I need to pop in. What do they do great? What, what are they doing over there? They're just super nice. Yeah. They're, they're just always vibrant. They're always like very upbeat. I mean, it definitely goes a long way in their, their training and their culture. You yeah. can just tell. I, I know a kid I went to college with, he actually uh, he owns a Chick-fil-A. And he had to go to a Chick Fil A college, so they basically go to school to become an owner of a Chick Fil A. Damn! And I just their company culture has to be great. I mean, they obviously, close one day a week, so that helps too. That's so yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've heard that before too. That's so interesting, man. Like, I, there's something really special there, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, again, like it's fast food. Not to like, you know, uh, disparage anybody who's in the fast food industry, but you know, you would think that that's again one other job where somebody's just going to come in, they're going to collect a check, and they're going to get out mm-hmm. of there, right? But if you can train even at that level. To somebody who's just actually living in a very happy culture, on paper you should be able to do that in any Correct. establishment, yeah. right? Um, that's so interesting. Yeah, cool. And man. that goes for us too. Started touching it, like closing one day a week is, goes a long way for anybody. Yeah. So we make sure we close one day a week so we can guarantee a day off for anybody. Right. Um, and so I think that not being so greedy and caught up in like we have to make sales, we have to make, we have to get this volume, or like 
for instance, when we had that, uh, what was it, hurricane warning recently? Yeah, yeah. Like, we closed all the restaurants just for the sake of the safety of our employees. We're like, I don't care if it doesn't happen. Just We just need to close because we know this is something on the radar. People are, are scared to, like, travel. And yeah. It's like little things like that people look at and they're like, yeah, we <laughs> need to close. Yeah. Like, we don't I care. I tell yeah. the restaurants yeah. are not closed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> people setting up. Yeah, man, that's so interesting. Uh, well, Chris Wood, I appreciate your time, man. Thank Where can you, people find you. you? What's your Instagram? Is that the best Insta- place to reach yeah, out Instagram, to you? Instagram, Wood 804 Okay. okay. Uh, but you can find me at any of the trust restaurants, except for the rares right now. Eventually, hopefully, I'll help out with the rare society. I do on the back end sometimes, but working service at the rare society is definitely something I want to look forward to in the future. Cool. Well, I'm, uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a pleasure absolutely having you today. It's Thank been you. a pleasure being in your network, too, man. I'm just super happy seeing you grow and, and can't wait to see what you do next, man. So, yeah, thanks for your time here today, Thank man. You. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Appreciate you, brother. Yes, sir. Appreciate it.